Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. I'm Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We're the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, we've had a busy week uh, on the site, Matt. It, it's been the all-star break, so you got first half stuff, first half coming to an end, kind of review of that, looking ahead to, to the second half, and also MLB draft stuff, which we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, which was very interesting. We'll get into that in a moment. But uh, Matt, it's been a, it's been quite a couple of days over here in uh, in baseball world. Yeah, um, that I'm still getting used to the draft and like its format with you know your first few picks and then day two a little bit more and then day three just like all that kind of being condensed a little bit. Like it was a lot to keep track of, especially being at work. <laughs> during all of that um and so luckily we had uh reviewing the brew draft guru david on the case just motoring through instant takeaways so there was plenty for everyone to kind of keep track um of all the picks but yeah there was that and like you said uh we've got corbin burns and devin williams at the all-star game neither of them pitched so you know what hey that's the better for us that means they're nice and fresh no risk injury right um yeah. i'll start uh the home run derby was fun my boy took seconds i was I, I i called randy and it wasn't a bad pick but uh vlad jr went off and yeah just generally a busy week and it, it'll continue to be busy absolutely always putting stuff out there uh at reviewing the brew and yeah i was i was very lucky that that on the first night of the draft Millie, my dog, was just sleeping in bed like the entire time. She wasn't like trying to go out and do, she wasn't trying to run around and do stuff and like needed to go outside or anything. It was just able to, to just chill. And uh, yeah, but it was, it was a fun night of the draft. It was an unexpected night of the draft. And as we get into the Brewers draft class here, we're going to bring in our good friend, Dan Zelensky of Baseball Prospect Journal. Dan, welcome back to the pod. We're so excited to have you. And, uh, you were not expecting this this kind of draft from the Brewers either, were you? No, I was not, and it's good to be with you guys. But when we co- when it comes to the Brewers draft, it always seems like they've targeted those up-the-middle college performers with high floors, low ceilings, and we'll get into why they went Brock Wilkin, but was not expecting them to go a corner guy. But once Tommy Troy went to the Diamondbacks, he had a couple other guys, Matt Shaw, Nolan Shawnowell kind of go off the board. You kind of knew the Brewers might be stuck with going a different direction and not that direction that they've preferred in recent years. Yeah, there was a huge run of of college bats. That that whole second tier of college bats is what we've been looking at this this whole time, really, for the Brewers. And a whole run on them started at, at eleven overall with with Shawnowell. Uh, and then you see Kyle Teal go at fourteen. Uh, Matt Shaw going to the Cubs really hurts me because I spent so much energy loving Matt Shaw and now yep. I have to hate him for, for years. Kyle Teal to the Diamondbacks, he fell a little further than I was expecting, but then Jacob Gonzalez to the White Sox. And then I'm like, oh no, are they going to end up with Enrique Bradfield? Because he's the only up the middle guy left. And then the Orioles take Enrique Bradfield. So your only, your only college bats left were third baseman. You had Brock Wilkin, you had Braden Taylor, um, you had Johanny Morales. Uh, that was really kind of all you had left uh, for those guys. And 
you know, I would have thought Braden Taylor would have made more sense just because he, he's got the better hit tool, and that's historically what the Brewers have targeted. Uh, but the Brewers instead go with Brock Wilkin, who is probably the best right-handed power bat in this entire draft class. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, being, being too hot of a take, but uh, he's someone who, I mean, he is just massive, big and strong. He is your prototypical like six foot four right-handed hitting power bat hitting fourth in the, in the lineup. That's something that the Brewers haven't had a lot of in recent years. And he's someone uh, that could finally be the answer at third base in Milwaukee. No, I agree. And I mean, the Brewers haven't taken a third baseman in the first round since 2008. So the Brewers were also connected to some. And they traded that guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, like, I thought if they weren't going to go up the middle, they'd probably go college pitching. And like you said, Braden Taylor made more sense in terms of philosophy standpoint, just because I still think there's some untapped potential with Braden Taylor and just kind of his approach, things like that. But, I mean, Brock Wilkin is a guy who's going to sign for under slot, which is going to be big as we break down this draft and what the Brewers decide to do. But Brock Wilkin's a guy that, as long as he kind of limits his strikeouts, which – he showed improvement on throughout his junior year at Wake Forest. His average went up, walks went up, strikeouts went down. He also showed improvement against breaking pitches too. So like if that can continue in pro ball, the Brewers could get a quality power hitter who's going to hit over 30 home runs at the big league level. At least that's his kind of potential and ceiling. And as long as he hits a respectable average, the Brewers are – going to get a quality value in that first rounder and then we're not even talking about the other guys they selected either for a guy like wilkin who as we know yes the brewers have been needing that corner infield depth for years now um and they get a guy like wilkin but as we know a lot of guys you draft don't necessarily end up sticking at that position wilkin they they do say that you know first base could be a fallback option sometimes those guys end up as corner outfielders do you see any risk here that Wilkin could end up not at the corner or do Brewers fans finally get to look forward to this guy being a possible corner infielder of the future? No, that's a great question. I was able to see Brock Wilkin at the college world series in, in Omaha recently. And I mean, arm strength wise, it's above average arm strength. I think he has really pretty good hands at third base. He is a bigger guy at third base. And that was one concern I had going in to seeing him play. And from a lateral movement standpoint, I think there's some work that needs to be done for him to stay at third base. I think overall he can handle third base. I don't think he's going to be a gold glover by any means, but that's not also why you took Brock Wilkin. It wasn't for his glove. It was for the bat. So I think if he can improve just a little bit with his lateral movement, be able be able to cover a little bit more ground at the hot corner. I think he's going to be fine and can stick there. And I think the Brewers would sacrifice a little bit of defense because of that bat too. Let, yeah. Let's put it this way. Is there a risk of a Ryan Braun situation here? No, I don't think so. I think your biggest concern is just his inability to get to some balls at third base. But I mean, when he does feel the ball, he has that big arm strength that, and it's a pretty accurate arm too that he throws it guys out regularly. Like it, that's not a concern. It's just can he cover enough ground at third where balls aren't getting past him and through that shortstop third base hole? 
So we're not going to have the Ryan Braun 20 throwing errors from third base <laughs> situation. No, I don't, okay, I don't think so. That That's good to know. That's, that's that very bad. comforting. Uh, and if we can get the 30 bombs per year going along with, that would also be, would be very nice. Um, but yeah, so Brock Wilkin, uh, money saving deal in, in the first round. It's like, okay, who are they saving their money for? And then we come around to, to 33 overall. And there's a lot of really big names on the board and the Brewers go a little bit off the radar. They go with another different type of pick, one that they haven't done a lot of in recent years. They go with a high school pitcher in Josh Noth, uh, from New York. Uh, from I think Long Island, like way, way up there. And I mean, the, the pitch metrics are great. It's like, okay, so they're saving the money for the high school pitcher, but there, there were a couple others on the board, Thomas White, Charlie Soto, that a lot of others had highly ranked. Dan, do you think Josh Noth was a, was a bit of a reach there at 33 or, or what do you think of that, that selection? So what I do know about Josh Noth is that other teams did value him higher. I think the kind of major league franchises thought higher of him than the draft experts did across the board. I think mm-hmm. Noth is a guy that I don't know if he was really receiving first round buzz, but there was some early second round buzz with him. He is a project. He's a high school right-handed pitcher. That's always the riskiest demographic. He's also a Northeast arm. So there's not a lot of views on him, at least compared to some of these other guys like a Soto, who I think overall right now has a better entire package as a right-handed prep pitcher. But I think Noth is a guy that in the Brewers development system could really thrive. The Brewers have really kind of targeted pitchers in recent years with unique characteristics that they can put into their pitching lab and really develop. We saw that week with uh, Jacob Mizorowski last year when they selected him. And I think this is kind of a similar play, not the same pitcher, but unique characteristics. I think he could thrive. He's 6'1", 190. Fastball touches 98 miles an hour. He's got elite spin on that curveball. So, I mean, all right there. You've got a fastball curveball combination that could be really good. It's going to come down to his third pitch, which it usually always does with high school arms. Can he develop that change up? And really with being from New York and a high school guy, I wouldn't have expected him to have a third pitch. He didn't need it <laughs> in New York. Even talking to some of the guys I interviewed, the hitters from New York, that area, like they would even say that. So like, um, Overall, skill-wise, I really like what he brings to the table. Does need refinement. I'll be curious to see what his signing bonus is because, yeah, I just don't – I don't know if they really went over slot with him. He, he could have been a slight savings or maybe just at that slot value. So I'll be curious to see what they sign him for. But I think pitching-wise, I think it's a good risk to take because of some of those intangibles he has. Yeah, that mid to high 90s fastball at his age, by the way, um, and the high spin curveball. Uh, I've seen the same uh, comparisons as of Lance McCullers being kind of a comp. Do you see any any other comps that you kind of see in him, um, guys, that maybe he's similar to or could be similar to? Yeah, I really haven't thought too much about that because I'm not crazy about comps in general. Lance McCullers is probably a good one. Um yeah, I mean, he, again, he's a guy that the analytics really like. And when you have that big of a breaking pitch, 
it's going to play. It's just a matter of consistency and throwing strikes. I like his operation. I think his tight three quarters arm slot is quick arm action. He's athletic and his delivery is simple. So like to me, I don't see why the Brewers can't develop him into a quality starter. There's always risk. Who knows? But like I mentioned earlier, the intangibles are there that I think he can be a starter in pro ball. Yeah. The, I, I think the question is how long is it going to take, you know, with, with high school arms, it, it yeah. can take quite a bit. I mean, we, we could be looking at 2028, 2029 <laughs> uh, before this dude actually makes it to the, to the big league level. Yeah. Someone else said that to me and I joked, well, the Brewers will be here only till 2030. So we really won't get to see him pitch <laughs> much. But, uh, kidding aside. Yeah. It's going to take some time with North. I mean, the Brewers didn't take him because he's someone who can go through a minor league system quickly. I think if they wanted that, they would have taken one of these other high school pitchers who are a little bit more advanced or Ty at Floyd. their age right now. Yeah, exactly. Ty yeah. Floyd's a good one too. So like, I think the Brewers know this is a project, but I think, the upside is worth the risk here. Yeah, and I'm like you mentioned before, Jacob Mizrowski was a project, and he's uh, he's going quite well mm-hmm. uh, so far. And yeah, it's just it's just a, a break in the demographic that that we've seen them target, and maybe it'll work out better than Caden Lemons or uh, Cody Medeiros. There are other high school projects over the last couple of years that did not turn out uh, so well, but then they finish out day one. Uh, they go with maybe a little bit more in characteristic type of guy, Mike Bovey, uh, out of Nebraska, Omaha, mid major kind of guy in the Summit League, uh, dominating the Summit League with a 400 batting average. Struck out just nine times all season. He's he's got the weird corner, pro, like, like he's a corner infielder, but he's got like no power. Uh, it, it seems like he like he does not hit for power. Uh, got a great hit tool, hit, hits for a really high average, puts the bat on the ball, doesn't strike out. But when they're talking about him, I'm like, okay, like not a great arm, second baseman. Like, is that what we're talking about here? But apparently third base, first base kind of guy. Yeah, Bovey is really interesting. He's a guy that I thought was one of the best contact hitters in college baseball this year. He only hit 13 home runs in his third in his three years at Omaha. I talked with him on Wednesday about getting drafted by the Brewers and just following up with him after interviewing him and writing a story about him before his season started this spring. And he said that was one question all 30 teams asked him was about his power. He's working on his swing. He knows like there could be some tweaks that could be made to hopefully unleash a little bit more power. So we'll see what he ends up kind of going with maybe this year or next year. But either way, they're getting a guy that's a line drive hitter and someone who's going to hit for average, have really good plate discipline, and 6'2", 215, left-handed hitter, advanced bat-to-ball skills. His calling card is going to be his offense and his ability to get on base. Defensively, when I talked to him too, he said he's ready to play all over. That's something the Brewers have not approached him about yet is where they see him playing defensively. I think he probably... He probably could stick at third base. He's another one of those guys that isn't going to be spectacular at third. You're going to more put him at third base to get the bat in the lineup. But he bounced around a little bit at Omaha his freshman year. He's got experience playing up the middle at shortstop. 
and in the outfield. I want to say he maybe also played second base. I know he said, though, he's willing to play second base if need be, too. So he's a guy that could be one of those guys that's maybe kind of a utility type or an everyday starter at one of these positions. But as I mentioned, his calling card is going to be that bat. Now, a lot of those characteristics sound similar to a guy they uh, drafted recently in Tyler Black. Tyler Black now, he's added a little bit of power and a lot of speed, by the way, which has just been insane to watch. Any chance we can coax a little bit of that out of there? I mean, he's like, body-wise, he sounds like he could be a power guy. He's a a big enough dude. Um, Is it in there somewhere? You say he's working on a swing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think... If Bovey can unleash a little bit more power, he could end up being a steal here in the second round because of that bat-to-ball skills that he has. So we'll see. It worries me a little bit when we start tweaking with swings and making adjustments there because just even looking at the Brewers and their track record, guys who have kind of altered their swings, Kesson here is one of them that did not work out. So part of me is like, just let him be. And if he ends up hitting for more power, he does. So if it's subtle adjustments, that's fine. And um, he went into detail about some of those things that he's kind of working on, but um, yeah, if he can hit for more power, if he can hit for 15 to 20 home runs, I think that would be a success. And he definitely doesn't have Tyler black speed, but that is kind of a similar type of player. We're looking at here. Someone who's kind of could end up being more of a utility guy and be known for his offensive skills. Yeah. Do you think this is a uh, underslot pick here as well? Yeah. Slot value is one and a half, just over one and a half million. I know he said he had some interest around this spot too from some other teams, but I would still envision him being underslot. He was a guy going into the draft. I thought he was kind of more second, third round type player. So for him to go here in the second round, I think they're probably going to end up saving a little bit of money. Is it 250000 maybe or something like that? I don't think it's going to be like massive savings by anything, any means. He's going to get a million plus, I would envision. But they're still, I think, going to save a little bit of dollars they can use elsewhere. Yeah, and uh, they, they definitely uh, found ways to spend that uh, money elsewhere on day two of the draft. They started off hot with Eric Batanti. Uh, out of Aquinas High School in California, shortstop, third baseman. I believe Todd Johnson has already come out and said that Patanti is going to be sent out as a third baseman. Six foot four, power guy, kind of a similar offensive profile to Wilkin. You know, not a great hit tool, but a ton of raw power. Uh, you know, he was a Brewers area coder, so that immediately, you know, the, the Brewers know this guy super well. The, the area code showcase teams every single year. The Brewers have drafted someone from their team every single year since 2005. So the pick, it, it's going to be one of these guys eventually. And it was Eric Patanti this year. And another corner profile type, big raw power, big upside. And, you know, the first real kind of big offensive upside play that the Brewers have taken uh, early on in the draft in, in quite a while. Yeah, I really like Batanti. I didn't expect them maybe necessarily to go this way just because, like you said, Dave, they really haven't gone this way. But a few things that stand out to me about Batanti. First, he doesn't turn 18 until November. So he's a little bit younger for his class, which I think is good. That means he's still got some projection left. 
225 pounds, left-handed swain, known more for his offensive tools, like you said. And I know when I spoke with him earlier on this year, he's a guy that wanted to stick it at shortstop. I would have been kind of curious to see how he would have handled shortstop in pro ball. Definitely, I think he's better suited at third base, but he's a quality athlete with strong instincts, has really good body control for his size too, and quality arm strength too. But third base is definitely probably a better spot for him. And looking at his offensive tools, I think from a hit tool perspective, I think he can be better than Wilkin. His power, his power is going to play, and that's going to come as he continues to mature. But I think we're looking at a guy that's an offensive third, offensive first third baseman, going to hit for power, and it's going to come from the left side, which is always valuable too. Would have been amazing to see a guy like him at six four come up as a shortstop and end up joining a division that has guys like uh, O'Neill Cruz. Um, and Ellie De La Cruz in there, but third base will certainly take, and it, it must be actually kind of nice. Again, like we talk about the, the corner infield actually stacking some depth now, and now you've got almost like a second wave of third base coming with Batanti as the other guys who are coming out of college get to move their way up a little bit faster. Definitely. And I think that's something they consider. And I think that's ultimately beneficial for the farm system, the Brewers have struggled to develop hitting in re- recent years. So no to get a guy with it, <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> to uh, get a guy like Patanti with his upside and also being only 17 on draft day, someone you don't need to rush necessarily to. You can let him kind of get comfortable, develop his skills, and take your time with him as he develops and works his way up the system. So, yeah, I really like the pick, and I think it could uh, – They obviously are really familiar with him, as Dave was saying. I think that's crazy about the area code draft picks that they've had, that they've always kind of gone that way. But, yeah, they're familiar with him, and I think it's going to pay off getting this guy in their system. Yeah, they they always take one, whether it's it's early or whether it's late. I mean, last year, like Jaden Newt, uh, Brady Neal, like they took him late. They didn't sign him, but like they always just seem – they always take one of them. Every single year, it seems like, and and yeah, Batanti's a guy they like, and, and they felt he was signable, uh, so they were able to to get him here, and yeah, it seems like a seems like a very good talent. And then they, they follow it up with a couple of lower signings: Jason Woodward in the fourth round. He had Tommy John surgery back in March. Uh, this is a massive underslot. Uh, I'm guessing here, like like way way down to save a whole bunch of money. Um. You know, there, there wasn't much on this guy. I think he was the first one to stump Jim Callis and, and Jonathan Mayo on the broadcast. Uh, but uh, another guy whose whose last name begins with Wood, uh, <laughs> it worked out when they draft Brandon Woodruff. Uh, maybe it'll work out work out with uh, Woodward. Yeah, and I saw the Brewers said he's going to take like twelve to fourteen months to recover. So this is a project arm, probably way under slot. He has good size, and he did have some success at Florida Gulf Coast, who has turned out some decent pitchers over the years. Chris Sale's obviously the most notable. He's not obviously the prospect status of a sale, but I think overall it's worth a risk. I mean, the Brewers needed to save money, so why not get a guy that's not a senior but still signable and still has some room left to grow. So we'll see. I mean, the Brewers have done a nice job of developing pitching. 
I would expect out of the guys they took, especially on day two, because I think they're going to sign all of them, all those pitchers, you would expect at least two or three of them, hopefully, to be at least bullpen pieces or at least Mm -hmm. get a taste of major league experience as a reliever down the line. So, um, yeah, I have no problems with them taking kind of a risk on this pick. Yeah. And then with the very next pick, the Brewers kind of follow that trend um, that they have been following and they got to go get their uh, community college guy. They get uh, Ryan Burchard out of Niagara County, um, 95 strikeouts in 50 innings pitched, almost two strikeouts an inning, like absolutely insane. Um, mid to high 90s fastball, lots of spin, classic Brewers uh, draft pick, kind of like they've had in recent years from that type of school, right? Yeah, I mean, Brichard is one of those guys I highlighted after they were done with day two. I think he's a guy that definitely has some room to make it through the system and be a big league contributor down the line. He's a right-handed pitcher, fastball, curveball, and changeup. Mid-90s fastball, touches 98, and his curveball is really an intriguing strikeout pitch, too. Needs to refine the pitch mix and mechanics a little bit, but... When we're talking about an underslot guy at this spot, the characteristics are pretty good that I think he could develop into a major league reliever and be a dominant guy with that fastball curveball combination. Yeah, the the JUCO route to to Milwaukee is uh, pretty star studded. You know, Aaron Ashby and uh, got a whole bunch more in the pipeline. It's been a uh, it's been a place where they just keep on keep on dipping their toes in the water and. It's like, okay, you go underslot here in round four and round five. Is it all for Batanti and, and Noth? You know, are, are they targeting anyone else? And then the sixth Ooh. round comes around. And we're sitting there, oh, man, all these high school guys are on the board. They're probably making it to school. And the Brewers say, nope, we're taking Cooper Pratt out of, out of Magnolia Heights High School in Mississippi. The Brewers have really been heavily uh, scouting the Mississippi area. They, they have gotten a lot of picks from the state of Mississippi in uh, recent years. And they get Cooper Pratt, who was a second round talent, uh, you know, maybe comp A, maybe even back into the first round type of talent, definitely a day one kind of guy. And the Brewers get him in the sixth round. And we know this is going to be massive overslot, but the upside here, Dan, just seems absolutely tremendous. It is. Like you said, he was a guy that, was at worst case a second round pick and if not higher than that he's one of the better prep hitters in my mind in this year's draft class and to get him in the sixth round I know why there are signability concerns I think the Brewers will sign him but the signability concerns are pretty obvious I mean I talked to Cooper Pratt and a few things he told me early on this year about his commitment to Ole Miss first he's good family friends with the head coach at Ole Miss. And he also grew up 10 minutes down the street from Ole Miss's campus. So he really liked the idea of staying home and playing in front of family, things like that. So yeah, his signability was a question going into the draft. That's probably why he fell. I'm curious to hear the backstory on Cooper Pratt. Did the Brewers kind of hope to take him in the sixth round or was it, he was just sitting out there in the fifth, sixth round and the Brewers are like, hey, let's take a chance on him because like you said, when they take these two kind of under under slot pitchers, I'm like, what are they doing here? Like 
the guys they've selected are good. Don't get me wrong, but they got all this money sitting on the table. What are they waiting for? And then to get Cooper Pratt, a guy who I think is going to stick at shortstop, 6'4", 200 pounds, really, really a well-rounded shortstop, right-handed hitter, quality bat-to-ball skills with strike zone awareness too, and someone I think can hit for average and power at the next level. Right now, he's more of a gap-to-gap hitter, but I think he, as he continues to grow and get older, he's going to grow into more power. And then defensively at shortstop, above average defender with strong instincts, also quality athlete too, and just really moves well and has soft hands and the arm strong, arm strength. He has above average arm strength and accurate throwing arm too. So I think just a complete player and to get a guy like Cooper Pratt and Batanti on day two, two guys who had second round grades and maybe Pratt, even some first round grades, tremendous value. And I, I really like what the Brewers did on day two and just their overall draft strategy to kind of sell out on day two for, for these two guys, I think could end up really proving to be valuable and their draft class is going to end up being judged based on how these two prep guys do. Yeah. I was, I was in the same spot you were in. I was kind of like on the fence through the first couple of rounds. I'm like, what are they doing here? Like with all certain slots and, and whatever else it's like these are reaches you know like, like what's going on here and then when they took Pratt, i'm like oh like like, like it's all coming together yeah. and <laughs> like now i'm super excited for for what they've gotten and, and getting the upside here and you know for the for the signability uh, i saw someone uh you know tweeting out you know oh if, if the brewers end up signing cooper pratt they absolutely killed this draft you know it, it'd be weird to take him if they can't sign him and the brewers minor league hitting coordinator brenton del cairo he replies yeah, yeah. with the gif of Shaq shaking his shoulders. It's like, yeah. So I, I feel like the Brewers think they're they're quite confident uh, that they're going to be able to sign uh, Cooper Pratt. Yeah, I mean, most of the time we very rarely see top 10 round guys not sign. Last year, I want to say it was three guys in the top 10 rounds that didn't sign. Teams always do their due diligence leading up to the draft, even right before they make a selection, talking to the player, talking to their advisor about what kind of money it would take to sign someone. So I think if Cooper Pratt wasn't signable, they wouldn't have taken him. I wonder why it took till the sixth round to take him. But either way, I mean, I think the likelihood of them signing Cooper Pratt is extremely high. And frankly, I'm not worried about them not signing him at this point. Do the Brewers need to do anything extra just to ensure that signing goes through, like send a Mississippi contingent, Woodruff, and Ethan Small, and just like do a little extra convincing or we're good here? I think we're good here. I think the number was probably close to agreed to by the time they took Cooper Pratt. I think they have a good sense on what it's going to cost them. I know slot value is just over 300000 He's going to get over it's he's going to get over a million dollars. And I will say worst case scenario, they don't sign him. They lose that $300,000 and then maybe they have to go after one of those guys after the 10th round that they took. It would be a big hit to the draft class. Don't get me wrong, but they do have options. If Cooper Pratt, for some reason would get cold feet and decide he still wants to go to college. Yeah, it's a, It's certainly one that that no one was really expecting. Once the six round rolled around, everyone thought he was he was kind of going to school. But uh, but yeah, if they can get him, they feel like they can. Uh, that's that's absolutely huge. Uh, biggest upside play, my my favorite pick of the draft. 
And then once once they did that, it's like, okay, like they're going way over slot here. All, all their slot money's going. You know, how are they going to finish out this draft? Probably a lot of college seniors. And that's that's what they did round seven through ten, four straight college senior pitchers. You got Tate Kuner out of Louisville, a lefty. You got Craig Yoho. It's not a pirate's life for me out of Indiana <laughs> in the eighth round. You got Mark Manfredi uh in the ninth round and when i saw that name i'm like oh no manfred (laughs) but luckily he's got an eye at the end uh so he he's good he's in the clear we don't have to boo him uh another lefty there in the ninth round and then morris austin out of houston christian i didn't even know that was a university in the 10th round um and dan i mean this was kind of expected as soon as cooper pratt went i'm like okay expect some college seniors coming here but i really like these arms especially the first three i mean that like they're like 23 years old i mean these are like fifth year seniors but they got some really good stuff uh and they could move fairly quickly through the system i think you can get a couple of big league relievers uh out of this group i totally agree two guys that stand out to me are tate keener the lefty from louisville and then craig yoho the right-hander from indiana Keener, I guess, first off, he's a guy that I want to say Louisville used a little bit as a starter and didn't have a lot of success. But once he was in the bullpen, he thrived in that role. And he's 92 to 95 with his fastball, has some natural movement, too, and then also mixes in a quality slider. He's pretty much a two-pitch pitcher who is built to be a reliever. He had success in that role at Louisville, and I think that's where he profiles best moving forward. But I think he's someone that could move quickly through a farm system. And then Craig Yoho too, 6'3", righty, who's really kind of intriguing to me because he does have a limited track record. Battled injuries throughout his career. He, he had Tommy John twice. So there's a little bit of an unknown. There's obviously some risk with the injury history, but if he's able to stay healthy, he's a guy that teams can kind of lean on. He's someone that analytically profiles really well and could be developed mid 90s fastball decent secondary pitch too so i think he's an intriguing guy i think with his kind of four pitch mix he could be a starter or developed as a starter but i think with the injury history probably just better to develop him as a reliever see if he can move through a farm system quickly and get to the major leagues in two years or so uh, looking at that 10th round pick morris austin speaking of guys who made limited appearances. He made just nine of them, um, had had kind of a big ERA there. Do, do you know what it might have been that the Brewers kind of saw in him that they um, wanted to bring him in and make him a little bit of a project? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that stands out is his size at 6'4", 210. It's hard to find big guys, and I think with his size, with kind of being underdeveloped a little bit, he's a guy that maybe they see some potential in. Besides that, I mean, obviously, he's going to be someone who's an easy sign, too. So at that point, you're kind of taking lottery tickets, and hopefully you're going to hit on a few of them. I think that's kind of what the Brewers went with with some of these guys at the back half of the second round. Some guys that you can see kind of have a high high uh, floor and maybe some projections still left in them. So we'll see. I think – if they can hit on two of these arms, that's a successful kind of draft on day two, minus the other two prep guys. 
Yeah, especially with these guys kind of being seniors and uh yeah, just just as soon as they took press, it seems like okay, just line up all the seniors that you got and we'll we'll pick the, the ones that we like the most. Uh but but I mean man, Freddie here in the ninth, um, you know, he kind of you know, he's he's got this uh like sidearm slots uh, according to, to baseball America. Uh also at six foot four, just kind of low nineties, throw some stuff. Like he sounds almost kind of like Hobie Milner, if Hobie Milner was six foot four and 210 pounds, like <laughs> that's what his profile kind of sounds like. It's a whole bunch of ground balls, um, some K's and, you know, just, just could be a, a solid reliever. Yeah. I think all these guys just may kind of profile as relievers down the line. And I hate to say it again, but like, if you hit on a couple of them, they're going to work. And with the way the Brewers like to use kind of a lot of relievers anyways, Part of that, I think, is just because they haven't found a lot of guys they can rely on. But part of it, I think, is they like the matchup aspect. If you can find even a lefty kind of specialist type, even though it's a little bit harder now with today's rules, there's still value in that. So, I mean, Holby Milner's had success, and I never thought he would have success. So, yeah, we'll see. Can can someone please Photoshop a 6'4", 200-pound Holby Milner? (laughs) Because I... with you mentioning that i just i need to see that that, the the visuals now are are just in your head because you can't see it with ai yeah use powering i'm sure you can find a photo like that oh my gosh just a six of four frame just hobie milner's face just uh, (laughs) right (laughs) oh man so yeah so that's how they round out day two you know they they get the two big high upside prepsters eric batanti cooper pratt a whole bunch of you know, high floor type of arms, likely relievers could be a starter, but uh, you know, mostly, mostly relievers saving some slot money for those two big guys. And then you get to day three and it's practically all high schoolers. I was kind of blown away. I was like, really? Okay. I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to sign all these guys. I'm setting the over under of day three picks that they sign at three and a half. And I'm taking the under like they got two four-year college guys Josh Timmerman, who had a horrible spring, but he's got some some decent pitch data. Brett Wikrowski from Bryant University in Rhode Island. Um, okay, sure. Uh, and then a JUCO guy with a Auburn commit and a whole bunch of high schoolers. So, Dan, uh, is there anyone from day three uh, that you think that they could sign if they have any money left over? Yeah, I mean, last year they signed four of their ten guys on day three, and I think he nailed the nailed it right there with three and a half. I can see him signing three guys because they're going to sign the two four year college guys for mm-hmm. sure. The junior got college guys not a guarantee with that Auburn commit. I think if they could get Bishop Letson, the right handed pitcher out of the Indiana prep ranks, that'd be a big get. Six four, hundred and seventy pounds, so a lot of room to still add a lot of strength to his frame. But he's projectable and he's athletic, and his fastball was up to ninety four miles an hour. So, with that size, with that room to add strength, I think there's a lot to like. His fastball also has high spin, late movement, good feel for a slider too. Obviously, needs to improve a little bit on that pitch. Needs to kind of work on his changeup too. But he's data friendly and he throws strikes. And he also has a Purdue commit, which it's not an SEC commit. It's still a power five commit. But I think I think he could be bought out of that commitment. And I still think 
looking at the Brewers' first two days, I think there's still some money that will probably be on the table from those two days that they can use on day three. So Bishop Letson is someone that I think the Brewers obviously are high on because that was the first pick they had on day three. He was a guy that, if we're not talking money, if we're not talking a high school right-hander, would have gone much earlier in the draft. So he's a guy I think with being data friendly and just his potential could be a great pickup if they can get him signed. I know one of the players that I saw a lot of good things about was um, Jacob Golston, but I know his signing chances are little. If you had to put a percent chance on him actually signing with the Brewers, 10, 15, 20, like, if you would have asked me this yesterday, I would have said much higher than I'm going to say today, which is zero because no, I, right. saw, I saw he tweeted out a photo with, I want to say with his parents in Oklahoma gear ah, yesterday. Man. So to me, that pretty much signals he's going the college route. And again, we still have a few weeks that guys can be signed for. I mean, the Brewers haven't even announced their first sign yet. So a lot can change between now and then, but between the other arms they took, like I would love if they could sign Jacob Golston because I think he might have more potential out of any arm they took on day three, but he'd probably come at a huge price tag and I don't think they're going to have the money for him. Yeah. I, I think taking them that late, uh, they knew it probably wasn't going to be there. If they thought they could, he probably would have gone in the 11th round, but yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like it. Letson's probably their their best chance at, at signing any of these high school guys. Um, but, I mean, really, the, the Brewers didn't feel the need for 21 new additions to their minor league system. That, that's why they went with all these guys. Every, you know, people may be asking, like, why would you draft all these guys knowing you're not going to be able to sign them? Because they don't have the, the roster spots, essentially, down in the minor leagues. I mean, you've got a capped number of, of minor league players that you can have now. And the Brewers, like a lot of the guys that they currently have, they don't have the the room to add 21 new guys, but they'll have the room to add 14, you know, guys instead and, and keep some other guys that are currently in the system that, that they also like. And, you know, it was like, okay, you can at least have a conversation with them, you know, maybe maybe have a history and just uh, strike up a relationship for, for later on. I agree too. And I think just looking at the Brewers farm system in general, They've done a great job of developing pitchers, but a lot of their premium pitchers are now in the major leagues with mm-hmm. Corbin Burns, Woodruff. And we're about Lowers. to lose. Yeah, exactly. So like Mizorowski is really the big name pitcher they still have in their farm system. After that, it gets a little bit questionable. There are some guys still with potential, but like Ethan Small hasn't worked out and some other guys either haven't worked out. So I think getting some high upside pitching here on day three, hoping to maybe sign one or two, could be valuable. I think uh, Bjorn Johnson, the right-handed pitcher out of the Washington high school ranks, or he's a left-handed pitcher, excuse me. Um, he's someone I'm intrigued about too. I wonder, I don't think his price tag is going to be as high as maybe a Letson. He's an Auburn commit, but I wonder if they could sign him too. If they could get two prep guys from day three, two prep pitchers, I think that would be a win. But they they would be fine signing only three guys too. Yeah. And a 
Sorry, I was just going to say, and a, a lefty with a uh, solid changeup is that. We know the Brewers love those solid changeups. I'd, I'd take him for sure. And his name's <laughs> Bjorn. Like, it, that's on. exactly. Like, we can't overlook this fact here. Yeah, I mean, for a high school guy to have his changeup be his best pitch is almost shocking. I mean, you see a few guys each year from the high school ranks have changeup being their best pitch, but a lefty with some size, quality three-pitch mix, like – his his arm slots interesting being sidearm. I I would be curious to see how that would play in a starter role and handling that many innings with that slot would be interesting to see how it develops. Obviously, if he has success at Auburn for three years, he's going to be a day one pick probably. So the Brewers are going to have to pay him a little bit. I just don't know what that number is, but if they could get Johnson in the system, I think there's upside there. Yeah, I mean, uh, last year, the, the Brewers took Luke Adams in the 12th round, and uh, they signed him. It, it was only like 250000 or so total. So it wasn't that much against the, the bonus pool. I'm not sure if, if that's what it, what it would be with Bjorn Johnson. Um, but, you know, maybe that, that's a guy – I'm taking him right there in the 12th. That's like, okay, like he wouldn't cost as much, but maybe we can we can get him here early on. Exactly. And with the Brewers, they're signing bonus allotments just under $11 million. They're able to go 5% over that, and then they have to pay a 75% tax, but they can go 5% over their signing bonus allotment and not lose any future draft picks. So that gives them about $550,000 to kind of play with. Say they would sign their first 10 round guys all for slot. I think they're going to probably save money on those first 10 rounds. So we're looking at probably a million bucks plus that they could probably play around with. So to me, I think they're going to get one of these guys. It's just a matter of who, and maybe if they could get another one, even better. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if they can't get Letson, try to uh, string a couple together later on. They they also, they did that a couple of years ago. They tried for rock Riggio in the 11th and they weren't able to get them. And then they just kind of piled on, like they signed their their guys in the 12th, 13th, and 14th round, all all high schoolers. They signed all three of them because they weren't able to sign Riggio. So maybe they could just tack some guys on. If they're not able to get Letson, they can tack together Johnson and uh, Adam Shesky or wh- whatever all the other names were. There were so many names. There's a whole bunch of Joshes in there. It was It was a <laughs> lot of names. Well, and then Dylan Watts, the junior college pitcher mm-hmm. they took, a right-hander who's 6'2", 180, a lot of potential. He is an Auburn commit, but fastball slider combination, low 90s fastball. Like To me, I think even though, sure, there's could be some reward if he goes to Auburn and pitches well, Like, does he really want to be in college for another year or does he want to get paid? So I think he's someone that, the Brewers could have a chance to sign too. The guys we kind of all mentioned here, minus obviously Golston, I think all are in play and I think are the best chance to for the Brewers to sign here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and Watts is a guy that, that I certainly like because I looked up his numbers at uh, Tacoma Community College, 38 and a third innings, one earned run. Yeah, He had a .23 ERA. I'll take a guy like that every single day of the week. Yeah, and we were talking about the Brewers loving their junior college arms. Like, yep. to me, he might be the best junior college arm they took. Mm-hmm. So if they can get him in their system with their development program they've had, like, who knows what you could get out of him. You could maybe 
make him just a reliever and let him throw that fastball slider and just move him through the system quickly if everything clicks or you spend more time with him and try to develop him as a starter first. So all said and done, obviously we don't know until uh, we start seeing what some of these guys do, but what was your favorite pick that the Brewers made? Was it Cooper Pratt there or was it one of those earlier guys? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Cooper Pratt. Just to be able to get that kind of talent in the sixth round, it's going to cost money. It's going to cost probably second-round dollars or back-end of the first-round dollars to sign him. But again, to pair him with Wilkin, Bovey, Noth, like they got a lot of value there. Obviously, there's some risk involved with all those guys, but the ceiling of all those guys just combined – could be a special draft class. I don't think we've really seen the Brewers have a draft like this in some time because they've been known to go for those high floor guys rather than the ceiling. So the draft class, like I said, is going to be judged on Patanti and Pratt. They're going to sign those guys. I'm pretty confident in that. I really like both players, and I think those two guys are could be really special players where we're looking at the guys on day one as someone who – they could be everyday regular players. That's what you want to see. Will they be all-star caliber players? Who knows? But if they can be contributors on a major league team, there's value to that too. Yeah, I think they're able to to grab quite a bit of that. And you know, maybe it's it's the change in in the in the GM's chair. Uh, David Stern steps down. Matt Arnold takes over. I know, I know Matt Arnold doesn't run the draft. It, it's Todd Johnson, the scouting director, who makes the picks and all. But I think that's where the philosophy change really kind of came in. Matt Arnold looking to, to change some things up and just kind of changing the philosophy and, and how they're going to attack this draft. Do you, do you think that's what ended up happening here? I think so. I, that's the only thing I can really point to because that's really the only change they've had. And even though it is Todd Johnson kind of running the draft, the – David Stern's president, Matt Arnold, GM, they have a big voice in the draft, especially early on, especially when you're kind of moving money around to go after some of these guys. Their voice is really big, and it sounds like the Brewers have always had kind of a collaborative effort among different departments, so all their voices are kind of heard. So that's the one thing I can point to is Arnold taking over. It's I wish we could have heard more kind of about that backstory of why they decided to change kind of philosophies, but that's something that really hasn't come out yet. So I'll be curious though, to see kind of next year and the following year, how their draft strategy kind of evolves and if it's similar to this year, or if they kind of go back to how they've done things in the past. Maybe one of these years, we can actually peg them for, for what they're going to do. Cause it's, it's so frustrating to have like everything ready to be like, all right, now I know what they're going to do. We know their draft philosophy, and then they change it up on you. And, like, it it just makes me feel so frustrated. It's like, oh, man, like, it, it seems like I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's why we have you on here, and you do, because you, sir, you won <laughs> mock draft wars. You had the best mock draft of any mock draft across all of baseball. And let's keep in mind the, the rate here, five selections. You had five picks correct, and that was enough. To, to win the best mock draft of all of baseball. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> Thanks. I, I was shocked when I saw that because with the way the draft started, I was like, oh, boy, I hope I can just get a few of these right. Um, Sean Owell ended up being the first one at pick 11. I had Matt Sean. 
obviously three other guys. But, yeah, I mean, the draft is always a crapshoot. And especially with this year's draft, there was so much parity in that second tier of prospects after the first five guys in the draft. And, I mean, it showed come draft day, but it was so hard to kind of peg teams. And then once one guy kind of goes in a spot you didn't – expect him to go it kind of changes everything up so yeah i mean most guys across the industry had like three picks right and some of them did like more picks than just the first round too so i don't know the draft is such a crap shoot when it comes to all that but yeah it it always seems like everyone figures out the brewer's strategy and that's when they kind of decide to change it so yeah yeah, so yeah just to mess with me i swear they do all the time but (laughs) yeah but before anyone gets to be like oh yeah you know what you're doing no i I looked at the mock draft wars absolutely nobody had the brewers pick no no one had brock woken so it's not just me it's not just matt it's not just us it's not just dan it's everybody no one knew this was coming yeah i mean even if you look at the top of the draft most people I'd have to look back at it, but I'm going to say most people didn't even have Paul Skeens going 1-1. It seemed like Wyatt Langford kind of moved in to that yeah. first spot. I mean, I know I know the Pirates were really high on Wyatt Langford. I think he would have made sense, at least before the draft. I really like Paul Skeens, too. He's a generational arm. But mm-hmm. so, like, yeah, I mean, even the top of the draft, people were not getting picks right. So once you're, we're starting to talk about pick 18, and, yeah, it's so hard. But, yeah. The Brewers really zagged when everyone thought they were going to go one way. So, yeah, this year's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to walk into draft season going. I, I got nothing. I, I have no idea what what direction they're going to go because they completely flipped it upside down this year, which means who knows what to even expect in twenty twenty four. I know. I was thinking about that too, and I've already started doing some twenty twenty four stuff already, and I, I mean. Let's all hope the Brewers aren't in the draft lottery. And yeah. granted, at this point with their record, they probably wouldn't even move because they'll have such low odds. So worst case scenario, they're probably picking around the same spot again. So it's going to be tough to pinpoint. And there's so much parity in next year's draft to begin with. Like, yeah, who knows? I I do like what the Brewers did this year. I like their strategy. So I would hope they would kind of go more upside than floor but yeah we'll see what they do next year it's again it's a major league baseball draft there's it's so hard to pinpoint that is that is very much true but yet you are one of the best at it and the best at mock draft wars uh this year and which is why we're always glad to have you on uh dan thanks so much man for for popping on and uh like like i said on on my radio show when i had you on last week i always feel smarter after after talking with you I appreciate that, guys. I always enjoy talking brewers and draft with you. So hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully we'll see uh, Cooper Pratt get signed, signing deadlines in about two weeks. And uh, so that's right before the trade deadline. It is going to be a a busy month of July for uh, guys in the brewers front office. It's going to be a busy month of July for us. So for Dan, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gass. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. 